0: Sensational goal from Ryan Giggs. falling for it. James can only fist it. It comes for Cantona. Oh, I don't believe it. Well led by York. Fed by Cole. Back to Andy Cole for Dwight York. Fantastic goal for Manchester United. Can Manchester United score? They always score. Giggs with a shot. Jerry!
1: Before we go into the interview itself let me begin Derek by saying welcome to the podcast I really appreciate your time I know you're a busy guy so thanks very much it's much appreciated. No no
0: problem. No problem.
1: Your story is interesting in the sense that you began just as Shane Long did like Kevin Moran did like many Irish athletes did you began as a GAA player before making that transition to soccer you played with Riverman Boys but tell me about that process. Yeah well I, I, <clears throat> I was
0: um I did a bit of knocking about what before I was 10 years of age, like kids do, but nothing serious. And at the age of 10, I, um, I went to Oil, um and I played uh, Gaelic for them for three years. And My dad already played football, so he wanted to try and get me into football. But I was determined to stick with the, the guy, you know, because um, I was quite good at it. Um, and then when I got to about 20, um, my dad said to me, uh, why don't you get football at try?" So I said, "All right." So I decided then to. Uh, he actually in a couple of games he played me in an under seventeen team, you know. And at this stage I was only under fourteen, um, and he played me with Don Sinclair, uh, YC. Well, I played left wing out in the wing, you know, so no one could kick me. So I played a couple of games for them, and then um, my dad played for Belvedere um, as, as a boy, so he got me to play for them. So I played for them in the under fourteen season as a striker, scored twenty nine goals wasn't happy. I wasn't not that I wasn't happy playing football. I, act, I had the bug for football, but I, I didn't really like the position I was playing. Even though I scored a lot of goals, so I turned to Belvedere and I said to them, uh, "Can I um, can I play centre half?" And they said, "No, no, we've already got centre halves." Now we played centre half back in Gaelic, so I kind of enjoyed looking at the whole pitch. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, so they said, "No, no, no, we won't, we've got centre halves." I said, well, look, I, I don't want to play striker." They thought I was mad, basically. So then in the summer then, I played in the five side for Ribbon Mount Boys just as a, as a guest player um, and enjoyed it. And then basically myself and Pat Fennell signed for Ribbon Mount Boys, which was my local team then, at under-14 level. Uh, and the funny thing was we played Belvedere. The fourth game was away against Belvedere, and I was playing centre-half. Uh, we won 3-2, and I scored a hat-trick. <laughs> so, I know it's scored a header from a corner, a free kick, and I think another one was just a shot from outside the box. So, it kind of shut the Belvoir boys up a little bit, you know, but um, that was a great year in the 14s because Pat Fenton, who um, he went on to play for, well, he went to Chelsea on trial, um, Derek Mulhall went to Arsenal on trial, and we ended up beating a lot of the top teams like Stella Maris and Belvoir and Home Farm. So that was a great. Cut. So I kind of got noticed. I think under 14. When I went under 15 with the Ripmount, Mount, um, I was picked for the under Ireland Ireland under 15s uh, as a as a midfielder, come defender. So there was a couple of games there. I was super 1 and then the second one I played up the north and drew two two. So that's how I kind of got into the football and how I got recognised first with in the Ireland team, you know.
1: Your dad obviously was big into sports. How much of an influence would you say he had in your career?
0: it does me well. it has me hero. Do you know what I mean? He, he's, he When he was seventeen, he went. To, he was a boxer. He could have gone to the Tokyo Olympics. Didn't go. Um. He was playing for. I don't know who he was playing for at the time. Football wise, but he went to Blackburn Rovers for for a month's trial. And basically, they wanted to sign him. He was a centre half as well. And basically, he, he was going out with my man at the time, and uh, he. <laughs> He missed me, Matt. But basically, he came back and then uh, I was born. So it kind of put a stifle to his, uh, his, his his career, you know. But he, my dad played well into his 50s for Griffith Rovers and Sheriff. and You know, I always used to go watch him play and stuff, you know. Yeah, he would always there to give me advice and always push, push me as much as he could. And, you know, I, I think at the right time, when I was actually under 15, Knott's Forest came in for me and he told him that uh, he stayed to do his education. So uh, he's always been a massive influence on my life and
1: that. Obviously you did really well at Rivermount it has to be said and you on a trial in England with West Ham which didn't work out but how much of a blow was that to your confidence, the knockback from West Ham?
0: Well um, when I went to West Ham I, um, I was under 17, well I was 17 I was at the time um, and I, I'd actually played for all of the 17s and I think I was the only home-based player who hadn't got a club next to their name. But you look at all the names, and it was um, man, certain people's names, Man United, you know, Aaron um, Toy, Luton. So every player had a name after him, and then it was Derek Brazil, Riven, boys. So when scouts come to the games, they, they kind of looked at him, how come he's not in England yet? Do you know what I mean? Because a yeah. lot of the boys were. So West Ham were at one of the games, I think it was Iceland, playing at talk, uh, talk Park, and they invited me over for a month. So basically I went over there, and this is the... It was quite scary going over there 17 because I'd never been on a plane before. we have got boats everywhere, the B&I everywhere, you know what I mean? The plane, it was, like, scary. So I went over and I stayed with uh, Eamon and Pat Dolan, with the, their family, his family. Uh, and, and Eamon was at um, Arsenal at the time. So Eamon was at West Ham and Pat Dolan was at uh, Arsenal. So Eamon gave me a little insight of what it was like at West Ham. He said, look, just do what you're doing. But it was mad because, like, the four weeks I was there, I trained with the first team. Normally, like you go out and you train with the reserves, but I trained with the first team. You're playing with players like Trevor Brookin, and um, Frank McAvaney, Tony Gale, you know Bobby Barnes, and it was it was it was mad, you know what I mean. And training sessions were quite tough and and really strange. And and, and to be honest, at the end of the, the month, I kind of knew they weren't going to keep me on, um, and. John lawyer called me in. He basically said, look, you're not going to make it. You need to go home and get a job in Dublin. And funny enough, the last person I spoke to was Paul Lynch. He was in the youth team then. And he said to me, listen, keep your head up and you never know what's going to happen. So he was the last person I spoke to at West Ham and basically jumped on a, on a plane, came back to Ireland and started playing my root mount again.
1: I'm curious to ask, what's your mindset like at this point? Is there any aspect of self-doubt beginning to creep in when West Ham told you that you weren't going to make it?
0: I played a few games for Rivermount then and kind of had a right few stinkers, you know what I mean? Because I think it was a mindset of like, you know, we had some good players in our team in, um, in River Mount, you know, some boys who probably, you know, had more talent than me. And But when you come back after being knocked back, it's kind of, you kind of look at yourself and see, and think, well, that's it, I kind of just got to settle down, try and get a career in the League of Ireland. And, and, and the other boys in the team as well, like, they look at you and go, he's our best player if he can't make it what chance have we so you could have doubted yourself a little bit but again the man Dawa, and the family were great they just said look you'll get another chance don't worry about that and I'd say that was obviously in the December of 1995 so I just thought I'll just get my head down and, and, and go for it basically and see what uh... I kind of had given up because I did an interview for a, a job as a printer and they were just about to offer me the, uh, the four year apprenticeship and um, it was more or less done, my dad was there with me. And he said, so what's your hobbies as to play football? Said, oh, yeah, you're only good. I said, well, I went on trial. They didn't give me the job. They'd give it to me and then they took it away from me because they said uh, they couldn't risk giving someone a four-year apprenticeship and then two years down the line them getting snapped up by uh, an English club, you know what I mean? So that was a bit heartbreaking at that stage, you know?
1: But of course, you did get another chance. You attracted a lot of interest from the likes of City, Chelsea. Spurs yeah, I mean
0: that was that was mad. It was, and that again is all. Though, so I got I got selected for the, the under 17s for, for Ireland and we played at Elland Road against Leeds and we drew one on. And I had a really good game, and um, some scouts came in. Then the Chelsea scout came in, uh, and to be fair, at the time Liam Tewi was the manager and he was great. Liam, he said, "There's some scouts outside. I want to speak to you." So he was like, "Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Let me see what what's going to happen." So, Chelsea scout came in, and yeah had a chat, and, um, and I'm sorry, before that game, but there was a game before that, the Chelsea gave, scout came in, so I went to Chelsea for a week, and basically they wanted to sign me, and I thought, all right, that's it. I came back and then played at Ellen Road, and that's when Man City and Tottenham, and Man United came in, and I actually said to them, I said, look, I've got my hands set, you know, setting on sign for Chelsea, because I think they'd offered me a two and a half year deal, so... I said, look, let's just go and see, if you, if you don't go to this club, you'll never know. So I went to, you know, I went to Spurs, uh, and these weren't trials, Spurs, at Man City, and then Man you know, United, none of these were trials, these were only for three days, because they wanted to sign me, on what based on what they'd seen, they just wanted me to come over, have a look at the club, meet people, and if I like a sign. So I didn't actually do a lot of training, really, at, at Man City, uh, at Tottenham. Uh, I think at United I played one game, one practice match, but they'd already decided they'd want to sign me. Um, so I went to the three of them. Man United was the last one I went to. And then Ron Mackinson convinced uh, myself and me my dad to sign there. You know, Because of all, there's a lot of Irish boys there, you know, the likes of Paul and Norman Whiteside and Frank and Joe Hanrahan was there, Martin Russell. So it felt kind of right to to sign for them you know what I mean so that's how it happened
1: you touched on the Irish lads there obviously there was strong Irish links to the club at the time was that a big factor how much did that help you settle down at the time Uh, well I stayed in Diggs Uh, when I signed I signed at three I mean I was 17
0: still obviously and that was in the match and the funny thing was when I did sign in the match it was in the Man United programme Eamon Dolan got the programme and went went into the coaches room at West Ham and threw it on the table where the pages opened that I'd signed for Man United he said their faces dropped. So he had a good laugh out of it. Um, but like, yeah, certainly for them. I mean, like, certainly there, I mean, the, the, the boys I mentioned, Paul, Frank, uh, I still keep in touch with Paul and Frank, you know, uh, and Norman. They were all great. You know? They looked after me and made sure, you know, that, was that I, mean, I stayed in digs with Martin Russell, I was good, and, and some other lads. So difficult. The first year was difficult. Um, I mean, Ron got the sack. Um, I signed in March and one I got a sack I think it was in November. So there was a bit of upheaval there again, you know.
1: Which actually leads nicely into a point I wanted to raise with you. How did the arrival of Ferguson impact you given the fact that you were an Atkinson signing?
0: Um, Personally, well, it was so quick because I'd signed in March and I only had April, May there and then I came back home obviously for the summer. And then I came back in July for pre-season which was, it was so hard. I mean, Got on the days of like now you know what they do now everything's got a ball for the first two weeks we just ran literally ran i didn't see a ball um but then when fergie came in um i mean ron had a bit of a tough time then um i mean ron was great with me he was so flash flamboyant he had a sunbed in his, in his, his office you know it was it was it was a bit bizarre fergie was totally different from ron he came in and you know, made everyone wear suits to, you know, reserve games and he was a real stickler for, for time, for how you looked, how you dressed, no long hair, you know, he was, he was quite, quite tough, quite military style and, but also, at the time when you're young, you don't realise he's doing it for, you, for your good, you know, to harden you up to, you know,
1: he was like a father figure to, to a lot of us, but you just didn't realise at the time. In terms of man management and dealing with big players, what would you say was the big difference between Ferguson and
0: Atkinson? Well, Ferguson, I think with Atkinson, I think with Ronnie, he, he was all about the first team. You know, he hardly ever watched the reserves or You know, but, but when Fergie came in, I mean, he kind of went the other way. You would get a lot of us youngsters, we'd train with the first team, we'd play mixed games. He, you know, he was massive on youth, and, and you can see, you know, what he done with the, the boys, you know, class of 92, or 93. Um, he'd give all them chances. I mean, we were called Fergie, you know, Fergie's flexings. It was myself, Daniel Graham, Russell Beers, Molly, Martin, Tony Gale, Juliana where So he, he was bringing youth through and, and, and looking at it, thinking, look, if, you, if you're good enough, you're old enough, type of thing. And, uh, you know, the, the club was a little bit, you know, lapsed days ago in terms of everything going He was quite laid back. Fergie was totally the opposite. He was in your face all the time, but wanted to do well. He wanted you to do well and succeed. And It's only when you get a little bit older and you think about that, you know, with Fergie, you, you, you think, you know, why was he hard on me? I mean, he's, he's an amazing man, I'll tell you that now, because when he did sell me in, in 93 uh, to Cardiff, I didn't see him till about four or five years ago. You know, you're talking nearly 15, 16 years um, and I was working at Cardiff City as an ambassador and then playing United and he was in the boardroom. So I went in to see him. And he you know, Oh Derek, how's it doing? Sit down here. So I sat down with him and he said to me, He said, Uh he looking well, I said, Oh thanks, thanks a lot. I said, he said, Yeah, uh, but I said, I said a tough game
1: today. He said, Yeah, well look Cardiff, i done well to get back in the Prem.'" He said, Anyway, how's Mick and Evelyn? i asked my man Dar's I nearly fell off the chair. That personal touch. I'm
0: thinking, in, my head, in my head I'm thinking, how the hell has he remembered my man-dad's name, after 18 years? And I, I, I mean, i said, nearly fell off the floor, when, when he turned around and said to me, I said yeah, that ground, you know, he said, is Mick still taxiing? And he could you know, gobsmacked is not it's a word I can use, but his attention to detail And it made me think all those years that, you know, when he is, I was there with him for five, I was at the club for six years and was with him for five and a half. And it was tough on you. But for him to, to, he's obviously done his homework in every single player he's had. And to have that level of knowledge and remember and you meet that person myself all those years later is nothing short of of miraculous, really. And, And it shows how much he actually did care for every player that he had.
1: It's that personal touch, really, isn't it?
0: It is, but I mean, he, I can imagine he did that at the time. But 18 years after I, I, I left the club. To remember that, that's... And I spoke to a few of the lads who moved on from Man United and they told me similar stories. I did remember their parents' names and what they did. I can't even remember some people who worked with last week.
1: Were you ever on the wrong end of Sir Alex Ferguson's famous hairdryer treatment?
0: Oh, I had a few of them, yeah. I had a few of them. He was... In fact, I was with twist Man United boys, old, old boys, the other day, like and then. Um, Someone asked us the same question. and I was with, I was with Keith Gillespie. And um, someone asked us the same question. And, and he was fierce. He'd he come in and he'd he, he literally scream in your face to the point that you didn't even know what he was saying. But he mellowed on like, as years went on with people because I think because he was winning things, you know, and he kind of calmed down a little bit. But I had a couple of dressing downs. I, mean, I was sat next to Paul McGrath once. And he came in and he was having a right go at me literally in my face like an inch from in my face screaming at me about something i'd done in the first half and then as he pulled his face away he looked at me and went oh sorry it wasn't you and then he, he went to paul and started screaming in paul's face <laughs> so once he went he could lose it you know what i mean and then when, when he left me and paul just looked at each other and went we looked nothing like each other paul it must be just the Irish thing he was he was he was a first man but i'd always be grateful for him to give me my debut you know
1: Hi, this is Ken Doherty, and you're listening to Red Devil Talk, the podcast with Jimmy Williams. You mentioned your United debut there. What do you remember about that day, and what do you remember about your own performance?
0: My home debut was Everton. I played the club, they hadn't won for 10 games, and he was under pressure for And And um, I was in the squad. Um, and then they, she'd only have 12 players, she'd have one sub. So I went down to Millwall on the old ground, or oh, the likes of Tony Tascarino was playing, Terry Rolock. So any Viv Anderson got injured after about ten minutes in the second half. And it was nil nil at the time. And I went on. Um, and we ended up winning two one and it was it was a great feeling to to play and and he was delighted after the game that we won two one. I think Dan Gollis Markey was scored. So that was great. And then obviously then I, I, I made my home debut against Everton. Um and he, he, you know, I think it was about two games from the end of the season. So you never think you're gonna get on. Might be an injury. And I came on in the second half. I think unfortunately I think we lost. I think we lost that one 2-1-0, I can't think. I don't know so, but I came on for that one at right back as well. So that was amazing because, you know, the running, I'd run it. I'd play that in the reserves. I was captain of the reserves and I played there so many times at Old Trafford. The crowds weren't great, but to run out, you know, in a first team game with a the crowd there and, and you know it was and getting support from the crowd, it, it was it was amazing. It was something. Still got the videos of. You know what I mean? I knew need, I need, need to transfer the CDs, I think, soon before they, before they go. But it was it was an amazing, amazing time, you know? And I'm grateful to him for that.
1: Is there any tinge of regret that you didn't establish yourself more? At the time, I mean, he offered me a two-year contract to stay.
0: Now, at the time, I, I was, you know, Pallister and Bruce were in front of me, and it was difficult. All the kids were coming through as well, so the nevels. So defensive-wise, I was thinking, you know, I'm 23 years of age, I want to play... You know, I want to play first team football. Yeah. Um. And then obviously the chance to go on loan to Cardiff came up, and then I went I went on loan there for a month, but after two weeks they they asked me to sign. So I think the original fee was something like eighty five thousand. They wanted to play a hundred games, there's another twenty something on top. So I, I I kind of was ready to go, you know. Yeah. And um, because I wanted to play first team football because I'd had that taste of it and. You know, I'd seen what was coming up through the ranks and I thought, no, I, I, can't, I can't do it. And, you know, it was, kind of, it was sad to go and, and, and sometimes when I look back at it, I think, you know, you always, you always think if I could have worked harder. Um, but the plain fact, I mean, is that day when I met Fergie um, about five years ago, the kind cardiff of Man United game, I said to him, I need to ask you why you let me go because you, you got offered me a 2 contract and why did you sell me? You never told me sure there's two reasons and to me I was thinking oh god there must be some dodgy night out or something I've done and uh, I said go on and he said Bruce and Pallister they had the two reasons he said you were never going to get in, in front of that they he shook his word because they, they stayed at the two centre-house for ten years didn't they Yeah. so nobody got in so um, I think you look back at it but the sadness is is is, is kind of goes because when I was at Cardiff for four years I I still live in Cardiff now and still work for the club and have worked for the club, so it's, you know, Cardiff's got a special place in my heart as well, you know.
1: Well, I suppose you were at a critical point in your career, you needed regular game time to continue your progress, so it's probably, probably the correct move for your first at time.
0: Yeah, well, definitely, I mean, I, I, that year I actually, when I was at Cardiff, I played, uh, down in Cork, when I played for Ireland the B team, the international, When we beat England 4-1, and Jack Charton was there, and, and that was the squad that was going, uh, to the World Cup in 94, was it? 94 USA? 94, yeah. Yeah. And I was in the preliminary squad for that. And there was three cut out and I was one of them. So you never know. You never know what would have happened. And I sure enjoyed watching the game when I went back home to with the family, you know. So no
1: regrets. No regrets, really. Much is talked about the drinking culture at football clubs in the 80s. Uh, were you we ever part of that? And to what extent was that going on at United at the time?
0: Um, well, somebody told me I was part of it. I can't really remember it. I listened to it. It's, it's, I think, not just Man United, it was, it was all clubs in them days, you know. Mm-hmm. They've got so many scientists now that tell you you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. and You know, there was a, you know, I wouldn't say it was any different from other clubs. Like, you know, people go on about the, the drinking culture that was at United, with the senior players and, I can tell you, it was the same at Liverpool, same at Arsenal, same at Man City. You said all the top clubs, it was always the same. And you know, you, you would get roped into a few sessions and all that, but you'd suffer for it the next day. And um, you know, it's, it's well, what can you do? It's when you get dragged along to them and you're Irish, and you have a few beers. It's, it's, there's no harm done, but the, the culture's totally changed now. That doesn't go on now, you know. I mean. Um, and if it does, someone's got a, a, a phone in front of them, you know, taking, taking pictures for Twitter or, 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 or Instagram or whatever, you know? I mean, you can imagine if, if that was around in them days, in the 80s, late 80s. Jesus. You know, it, I think everybody would have been them
1: flashed all over Twitter. But thank God it wasn't. I certainly wouldn't go out now anyway.
0: No chance. No chance at all. Uh, for the boys as well nowadays, I mean, they are they, paid fortunes now, haven't they? So, you know, the, the the money is is unbelievable. I mean, back in our day, I mean, probably the top wage, earner when I was at United you know, was probably on three grand a week. Do you know what I mean? You're top the top boys there,
1: so they couldn't afford to get fined a week wages or two weeks wages. You often hear about fans speaking about the United DNA. This manager doesn't fit the United DNA. This profile of player. He doesn't fit the United DNA. What do you think the United DNA is and how do you think you gain that?
0: I think once you become a player in Man United, the DNA, I, I, as I think it is, is, is the history of the club. The people who've gone before you, the people who've worn the shirt before you. You know, the likes of... You're going back, you know, to Bobby and George Best. Um, even before them, you know? You're going back to players, Dennis Law, Paddy Crane... When you, get to the, when you get to the club and you sign and you're a Man United player, you know, I mean, Fergie did it. He took us, he used to take us to Old Trafford and sit us down and take us to the stadium and to the museum and show you what this club actually means and what it's about, about winning, playing the, playing the right way. I mean, Fergie was, was great at that. He, he would totally indoctrinate you in the club. I mean, I was at, I was at the club for, what, six months before? Kind of knew, I knew what players had played. When you know, you've sit you down and show you as a group of lads what it means to be a United player. You know? You look at the players that have gone before you worn the shirt. Look at the trophies they've won. Look at the managers who've been here. And, and they've always said if you leave Man United there's only one way of going and that's down. Whatever club you go to. It's obviously different now with the likes of PSG and Man you know, Real Madrid. But yeah. You know, that's so I think it was the DNA of it is and he made it even more by bringing all the youth through We're giving myself Davey giving Russell Beard more and then Daniel Graham and and then further on again with the Nevilles Ben Thornley Keith Cresby you know what I mean it's it's amazing amazing what he did um, and I think the DNA of the club is
1: is, is the history of the club it's more a
0: means to the fans as well
1: it's a culture really isn't it it's the the onus
0: is on it your it is it's, a, it's, a, it's an actual lifestyle you know if you're, a Man United, if you're a Man United supporter or a fan, you take interest in everything that's going on at the moment. You know, everything, whether it's players from past or whether it's Man United legends games, whether it's the youth team playing, who we sign in, and it's more so much now with Sky Sports. Like, if something comes on at Sky Sports, Man United fans will look looking. They're looking all over Twitter. They're looking for this. So, it's just in your blood and it is a lifestyle. It just, it is some people's lives. You know. It is some people's lives and there's nothing wrong with that.
1: I'd like to ask you about your injury. You were playing for a at the time when you had to retire as a result of that injury What what was the mental impact of that on you? What
0: was difficult with that? I mean, I signed for them in 1993 and the first, the first year we actually won the league. We got promoted and we won the Welsh Cup and I played in Europe so my first year was amazing in terms of leaving United and having now all that in that first year and then I picked up a couple of injuries. I was there for four years in total um, playing I think it was 144 games or something, and then I started to pick up a few injuries then, good hamstring injuries, um, groin injuries, and it was difficult. You know, I was, I was only 27 you know, at the time, and um, so you know, I signed for United at 17. I've been in 10 years at 27, and um, I had to retire from full time football um, because I could I couldn't keep up with the training. Um, and basically, couldn't do it. And, you know, subsequently I went to Newport and I trained. Uh, you know, we don't train Tuesday and Thursday night, which was ideal for me and playing on a Saturday. That was kind of a deal for enough of my body. I'd have, you know, at twenty-seven, you know, I'd played a lot of football, and then obviously nowadays injuries can be healed quicker because of certain you know equipment they have. Back in them days, it was just a case of you know there, there was no. Ice, ice cold chambers there was no sending you to Dubai no putting you in oxygen chambers it was literally right let's put you on the bed you have a massage ice it um, you know they have a bit of ultrasound and that was kind of it then that's all they had you know nowadays injuries can be back in two weeks playing Then them days you could be four to six weeks so it was a difficult time to recover from it you know and Everything's moved on, and thankfully, I, I, when I went to Newport, I, they asked me to do my coaching badges, and I was a community officer. So I started actual coaching at 27 years of age. And it's kind of a blessing in disguise because at 50 years of age now, it's what I still do, coaching. You know, I am living through coaching in schools. I'll be there, I teach more. I coach more than just football now. I coach everything from hockey, tennis, athletics, rugby, gymnastics, dance, so, you know, it's, it's, it's funny how I, I did that at 27 and, and it's, it's become my, my actual career for the last 23 years.
1: You must really enjoy that. How rewarding do you find that? Oh, it's great. I mean, I get to work with,
0: with kids of, of all ages and, you know, abilities from the age of four up to 16, you know, it's um, and like I say, it's not just football It teaches. it's every other sport and some kids, they they excel at some sports. You know, maybe just one sport. It could be dance, it could be gymnastics. Um, but then, obviously, I, 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 it is quite rewarding doing that. Um, but then again, I also do other stuff like after dinner speaking. I play with Man United Legends um, every now and again. I work as an ambassador for Cardiff City on match days. Um, so it's kind of all, you know, falling into place here if you look at my career. Really, one of the, the things I did find difficult at 27 years of age yeah. and I, when I kind of went into part of football was dealing with the men, mental side of it that was that was extremely hard because when you're at a football club they do everything for you they give you a doctor go to a dentist any forms for them they'll do them for you everything so when I left and went to you know a, a semi-pro club and I went there and they, and they said well no we don't do anything that for you so for 10 years I've had you know professional footballers have always been pampered and yes you want to do this you'll get your driver license out for you we'll get your doctor yeah I need this you want to flights to booked yeah we we'll booked for you and when you come when I came out at 27 it was like I didn't have a doctor I didn't have a dentist filling out forms just like whoa normally the club does, does that for me so that's solid. plus you you go from being with players every single day and then having to go and work with kids and it's like it's it's a real, because in my head at 27, I was still a kid, but you know, and you just think to yourself, how do you deal with it? And you go through phases in your life of, I mean, there's, there's such a big emphasis now on mental health and how people are. I think everyone goes through it at different stages, whether, whether it's a small thing, uh, whether you're a plumber or whether you're a footballer. Having those issues of, of I mean, it's, years ago people would go, ah, he's mental because they never asked ask him what was wrong with him, you know? Yeah. I think the mental side of things is, is, is being looked after so much better now. You know, back when I was you know, 30, a year old, 27 years ago, people just left you alone and got on with it and expect you to do it. And it's, 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 it's hard to, to deal with it. And you see so many footballers who have come out of football and, and, and got themselves into trouble or, you know, whether it's money-wise or, or relationship-wise and, because they, they don't know how to deal with it. Because they've been looked after by clubs from a very early young age and you're thrown out into the big, wide world and it's difficult. And and, and some people suffer worse than others, you know.
1: How much do you think of sport is actually mental?
0: Because I'm older now, I, th- I I can think a bit clearer about it. When, when you're playing and you're young, you don't really think of it like that. For me, as I got older, um, I think the mental side of it is... Is massive, it's absolutely massive, and it doesn't matter whether it's been brought to the fore as much now. I think the mental side of, like, if if you're not mentally right to go out and play, in terms of, if you're having trouble at home, or you've got a gambling problem, or a drinking problem, you aren't mentally right to go and play in front of twenty, thirty thousand people. You barely get through training, you know? But I think the mental side of it, and clubs have addressed this, because... They've got sports psychologists in, they've got everyone who will deal with this stuff like this to, to speak to players and, and you know, I see telltale signs whether a player is not right. Because if you're not mentally right to go play, like I said, you can't go and perform at your best. And, and unfortunately football is a big money game at the moment and results driven, sponsorship driven. So the mental, health, the mental side of it is probably more important than the actual physical side because the physical side of football will will take care of itself in yeah. terms of training in terms of you know how fit they are but if the mental side of a player is not right it affects himself personally he doesn't carry out the tactics on the in the game because he's probably out there on the pitch thinking of some problem he has off the pitch or, or what what is he going to do tomorrow you know <clears throat> again that affects everything tactically so the mental side of the game and i think stuff is being looked into now
1: but i think it's only going to get um more and more important as we go on i think in many respects sports science and psychology has and will continue to revolutionize contemporary sports now obviously there are many factors that must be considered in relation to achieving elite sport performance but given the emphasis that i suppose society in general No places on mental health It's no surprise that Clubs are looking at it
0: Yeah but you need people To buy into it as well In terms of Not money wise But you need A manager of a club Or a chairman Or somebody Who believes In that side of it as well Because you'll have managers Who will just be I don't believe all that You you need a manager To buy into that To bring a sports scientist To bring a sports psychologist in Because if the manager Believes in it He'll get his players To believe in it you know? So um it is, and I think I think it's good for the game. And I think it, it, if it helps players, whatever age they are, and you know, and it helps people, um, then it's all, all for good, isn't it? Sensational goal from Ryan it James can only test it. It comes for Canton. I don't believe it. Well left by York, fed by Cole. Back to Annie Cole from Dwight Your Fantastic goal for Manchester United. Can Manchester United score? They always score. Gets with a shot! Jerry.